When asked by a reporter how much money is enough, John D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men to ever live, replied, just a little bit more. Have you heard that story before? Me too. But I don't think it's actually true, or at least I couldn't find any credible sources for it. But coming from one of the richest men ever to live, you, that sounds believable, right? Some might even applaud that kind of thinking. But while it's debatable whether Rockefeller actually said those words or not, here are some words that he actually wrote in an autobiography. He writes, I know of nothing more despicable and pathetic than a man who devotes all the waking hours of the day to making money for money's sake. Now, you didn't expect Rockefeller to say that, did you? But I'm not here to give a presentation about John D. Rockefeller and what he might have said or might have written. I draw attention to both those statements to highlight the fact that along with areas such as our sexuality, gender, and origin, work is another aspect of our humanity that is often misunderstood. The authors of the book Gospel at Work puts, put it this way, bear with me, it's a bit of a long quote. They write, when we get right down to it, it seems that most of the sins we face when it comes to our jobs can be boiled down to a couple of pitfalls. On the one hand, we can let our job become an idol. Our work become the primary object of our passions, our energy, and our love. We end up worshiping our job. On the other hand, we can slip into being idle in our work. When we fail to see God's purposes in our work, we don't really care much about it, we fail to give any attention to it, or we despise it and generally neglect our responsibility to serve as if we are serving the Lord. Unfortunately, idleness in work and idolatry of work are both celebrated in our society. Idleness and idolatry. These are two common sinful expressions of a heart that fails to rightly understand work as intended by God. In our series through Genesis, we have been exploring our longings, the achings of our souls that result from how God has made us and are meant to drive us back to him. And like the other topics we have dealt with so far, there is far too much that can be said about work. I'm not here to pass judgment about what you currently do or to tell you what job you should get. My aim for today is to help us to simply see that work is good and let God's spirit take his word and apply it to each heart and context. So our four points for today are that God works, that God calls us to work, that God works through us and that we work through God. So let's start with the first point, God works. Where did work begin? We read in Genesis 1-1 that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The opening words of our story tells us many things, friends. For example, logic dictates that if there was a time that absolutely nothing was, then there would be absolutely nothing now. An empty room, for, for example, can't decide to one day fill itself, right? However, we read that before anything came to be, God simply is. 
He's the main character to our story and the story of all existence. But Pastor Julian already preached about our origin, so I don't need to go over that again. But one thing that is beneficial for us to see is that we learn in the beginning there is a God and this God works. All that we see, including ourselves, are a result of his creative work. The fact that his act of creation was work is clarified in Genesis 2.2, where we read, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. See, the creation account was the first ever nine to five. But did God simply work for a paycheck? Or did he do it out, out of some sort of compulsion? Or did he hate working? Far from it. See, being God, creation added absolutely nothing to him. He did his work out of sheer joy and pleasure. With each day, like a master artist, he added a little bit of detail in his creation and he said it was good. And at the end of it all, he steps back and takes it all in. And we read in Genesis 1.31 that God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Work began with God. He worked first and then he set the pattern for us to follow. See, he created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1.1. In Genesis 2.7, he formed man from the dust of the ground. In Genesis 2.8, he planted a garden in Eden. In the opening chapters of Genesis alone, we see that God works as an artist, a potter, and a gardener. And we've not even gotten to what the God-man Jesus did when he walked the earth. It is clear that work is good because God himself works. But see, work is not something that God alone does. Next, let's consider that God calls us to work. Sure, Mr. Preacher, you might say, of course, when God works, it's good. But how can you say that about my work? Isn't the reason we even have to work in the first place because of what Adam and Eve did back in the garden? The Bible would disagree. See, when God created... He wove work into the very fabric of existence. Again, we see that in the opening chapters of Genesis. In our text for today, the creation account backtracks, as it were, to provide more detail about what had happened. And the author sets the scene and he writes this in Genesis 2.5. He says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for Yahweh God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. Did you catch it? No man to work the ground. Nothing was growing yet because there was no one to work it. Or like the Hebrew puts it, there was no Adam to work the Adamah, no earthling to work the earth. God made the world to need work. We see this even in the rest of the creation account, right? When you think about it, he's God. He could have made everything separated, formed, and, it, and in all its beauty. But instead, he chose to create it unformed, and then he got to work on it. 
He made everything good, yes, but he didn't make it in its final state. He made it so that its full beauty would need to be worked out. So how about us as human beings? In what way then do we see work in our fabric? Well, in Genesis 1.28, when God made mankind in his image, we read, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Being made in God's image, representing him to the rest of creation, includes our work. It isn't a merely nice addition, but it's part of our very humanity. Tim Keller, a renowned Christian pastor and thinker, writes this in his book, Every Good Endeavor. He says, work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. It's not simply medicine, but food for our soul. Without meaningful work, we sense significant inner loss and emptiness. People who are cut off from work because of a physical or other reasons quickly discover how much they need work to thrive emotionally and physically and spiritually. Again, we see this play out clearly in the Garden of Eden. What God commanded mankind to do to all of the earth in Genesis 1 was to begin in the garden in Genesis 2. The garden was to be ground zero for us fulfilling our role. Now I wonder, what would your idea of earthly bliss look like? For some of you, it would be talking about MBA all day, or watching anime, or... If Pastor Julian was here, he might talk about Chick-fil-A. But I think hardly any one of us would add a daily dose of work into that picture, right? I mean, a lot of us long for retirement because we dream of being free from work. But God's idea is a little different. The paradise he made for man involved working. In Genesis 2.8, before sin and the fall, we read that God planted the, Adam, God planted the Garden of Eden and put the man he had made there. Why? Was this supposed to be early retirement for Adam? Or did Adam go on Airbnb, look under the paradise category and thought, hmm, short stay in the Garden of Eden, sure. No. The command to live out the image of God was meant to begin in the garden. We see this in Genesis 2.15 when we read that Yahweh God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. To work it, to cultivate it, further developing its beauty. And to keep it, to protect and take care of it. Beginning in the garden of Eden... Man was to represent God to the rest of creation. See, by working and keeping it, he was to subdue the earth. Eve was given to Adam in the garden, the helper he needed to be able to multiply and fill the earth. When God brings the animals to Adam to um, in the garden, he names them, signaling the authority he has been given by God to have dominion over creation. 
What it means to be human, to be made in the image of God, was unfolding right there in the garden. And that included work. A commentator says this, he says, It should be noted that even before the fall of man, was, man was expected to work. Paradise was not a life of leisured unemployment. But when we say work, what do we mean? Based on what we read in Genesis 2, does that mean that God wants us all to be farmers and gardeners? I hope not. I would suck at that. <laughs> the call to work, to follow the pattern we see in God's own work, is to order creation, cultivate its beauty, and fill it with fellow image bearers. This is the umbrella command that we have been given as those made in God's image. In Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10, the author writes, whatever, you whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Whatever your hand finds to do. This means that whether it's trading stocks or training children, planting churches or planting flowers, flipping houses or flipping burgers, cleaning up rooms or meetings on Zoom, we are all called to use our energy purposefully and productively as representatives of God. Our Christian brothers and sisters who came before us like to speak of this idea of a vocation, the calling that God has given to each and every one of us. This is not just what we do to earn a paycheck, but includes every sphere of our lives. Another commentator writes, according to the reformers, each Christian has multiple vocations. We have callings in our work, we have callings in our families, we have callings as citizens in the larger society, and we have callings in the church. So what areas of productivity are you being called to in your life? What beauty and reflection of God's goodness has he set before you to work out? This is important to think about because work is good. God himself works and he calls us to work. Like Adam in the garden, he has placed you wherever you are for you to get to work. But see, there's an even more amazing reality to consider, which is our third point that God works through us. Martin Luther, one of the early reformers, was big on this idea. He emphasized that when you do your work, whether you're a Christian or not, you act like the finger of God working in the sphere of human lives. You are a mask through which he works out his purposes of showing his kindness to his creation. I mean, think about it. I know there are probably a lot of coffee drinkers in here. I personally don't drink coffee, but, you know, good on you guys. Um, for you coffee drinkers, you're probably thankful when you get a good cup of coffee, right? But did you make the cup that you drank your coffee through? Did you grind the beans yourself? You might be like, yes, I did that. <laughs> well, did you, did you roast the beans? Some of you maybe roast, roasted your beans. Did you harvest your beans? Did you plant and grow your beans? How far is he going with this illustration? <laughs> well, let's keep going. How about the grinder or the coffee pot? Did you make them? 
Did you make the tools to make them? We can keep going, guys. See, how far does your Thanksgiving extend for a simple cup of coffee you enjoy? It's no wonder that Martin Luther presses the point that when we ask God for our daily bread and other needs, we should recognize that he provides it through the hands of men. Now multiply that thought by the common grace God provides through things like medicine, laws and law enforcement, sanitation, infrastructure, technology, produce, and other things you enjoy, and you see that it is simply impossible to enjoy these things without the work of others. There are probably many of you listening here that what you spend most of your time being productive at wouldn't be considered glamorous. Some might even think that what you do is beneath them. But see, that kind of thinking misses the fact that the work still needs to be done. For example, you might think cleaning the streets is beneath you, but you probably don't want to know what happens if the street cleaners don't do their job for like a month. See, all these layers in their simplicity or complexity are meant to contribute to the flourishing of human life and living out our calling as image bearers. Friends, if you're listening to this and you are not a Christian, this applies to you too, because you are also made in God's image. God shows you kindness through the work of others, and you yourself are used by God, whether you believe in him or not, to bless others in your work. But if we're honest, most of us don't feel anything as grand as a calling in what we do. And again, if work is so good, then why does it feel so hard and so bad? See, mankind, as God's representative, was given borrowed authority to copy what we saw in God's work. But remember, this is borrowed authority. Just because your boss gives you the green light to enter a business deal or to make a purchase for the company doesn't mean that you now own the company, right? You are still accountable to your boss. Likewise, Adam and Eve, even with their borrowed authority, were still accountable to God. But they abused their position by disobeying what God had commanded. And because of this disobedience, what the Bible calls sin, work like every other aspect of our being has been affected. Although God made work good, as a result of their disobedience, his judgment brought a curse. In Genesis 3, we read that to Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For, you, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. As the context here shows us, thorns and thistles here is metaphorical to mean pain and hardship. See, regardless of whatever field you go into, there will be thorns and thistles to work through. Again, Tim Keller is helpful here to get a sense of what this could be referring to. He writes, in all our work, 
we will be able to envision far more than we can accomplish, both because of a lack of ability and because of resistance in the environment around us. The experience of work will include pain, conflict, and fatigue, and not all our goals will be met. So what are the thorns and thistles that make your work difficult? Are there your work environment or the systems you have to work in? Or worse yet, the people you have to work with? But friend, even before we address the thorns and thistles you have to wrestle through, we need to face an even more, an even more fundamental issue that we ourselves as the workers have been broken by our sin. See, rather than working as God's representatives for the good of others, we tend to work for ourselves instead, being attracted to riches and reputation. Rather than exercising authority as those called to serve those under us, we end up abusing our authority. Or we can flip it and go the other way. Rather than working faithfully and being people of integrity, we might cut corners and skip out and skip out on work and browse social media when no one else is looking. Or maybe some of us would rather not even work altogether and let someone else pay for our way and we do whatever we want. See, like the quote we started with said, our society is often marked by either idolatry, too much work, or idleness, too little work. But both of these are sinful expressions, but they don't cancel out our calling to work. See, after Adam and Eve sinned and the curse was proclaimed, we read in Genesis 3.23 that Yahweh God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to do what? To work the ground from which he was taken. God's design for us to work was still in our being. This is why, whether you're a Christian or not, you, you can still relate to this longing for work in some way. You want to, provide, to your provide for your family. You want to take care of those you love and are responsible for. Some people aren't Christians, but they can even have a better work ethic and do a better job than some believers. God uses all of that. But friends, even with this longing, and even with God still working through us, we cannot fully enjoy or fulfill our calling to work because of our sin. Worse than that, as those who are accountable to God as his representatives, we are guilty of failing at our calling. What's at stake here is not merely being fired from a job, but the fiery judgment of God himself. See, we have incurred a debt that we could never pay back ourselves. But this is why the good news is the good news, because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, for us. Unlike us, he fulfilled his role as the image of God perfectly. He was so dedicated to his calling from God that he says in John 4:34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And rather than being idle at his work, we read in Mark 7:37 that the people were astonished beyond measure saying, he has done all things well. 
far from making an idol out of his work, he worked for the glory of God. And his work had thorns too, a literal crown of thorns. He worked, as, he worked hard and his work was full of pain and toil and he died to pay the price for our sins. But he did great work and he didn't stay dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the third day and now lives and reigns from heaven. Anyone who confesses that they simply cannot live how they were meant to and put their trust in him by faith are saved. Saved from their sin and God's judgment, yes, but also saved from a life lived in futility. I plead with you, friend. If you do not know Jesus, turn to him today. Those who trust in Jesus and live for him are freed to be able to work as God intended. This leads us to our final point for today, that we work through God. You might think, well, if we are all called to work in some way, and if God still works through people for the good of others, regardless of whether they are Christians or not, then what difference should faith in Jesus make to our work? I mean, it has to be more than simply being nicer, right? Most of us know people who aren't Christians that are nice. Well, we can begin answering this question by formulating a Christian view of work. And since we often associate our hands for work, we will use our hands to symbolize two aspects of a Christian view. And I hope that it helps you remember it whenever you look at your hands. So let's see if that works. Uh, lots of puns. Um, these two views or these two aspects of our view will shape and drive our work. So let's start with the left hand and call it worship. Let's think about work as worship. In Romans 12:1, the Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says that our very lives as Christians are to be given over to God in worship. And of course, this includes our work. This means that whatever we do should now be done with the question in mind, does this glorify God? Or how can I glorify God in this? This driving motive extends from the big decisions about what jobs to take and what career paths to pursue to the day-to-day -day decisions about how we work and our attitudes we work with. For example, we read in Colossians 3, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. What would it look like for you to work on your next spreadsheet or change diapers or stock shelves or help at a children's camp or hand in an essay or make a meal or teach a child as worship, as service to Jesus himself? 
And according to this passage, you have a reward and inheritance from, from God. So would you still spend all your time at your job, like Rockefeller said, pathetically trying to make money for money's sake? See, when we work first and foremost with a vertical view, it frees us from a life of vanity that is caught up in trying to live our best lives now. Of course, we still need to take care of and provide for those we love and are responsible for, but we are freed to labor faithfully, knowing that ultimately the provision is from God himself. For like the psalmist says in Psalm 127, unless Yahweh builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless Yahweh watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. This has been true from the very beginning, even back in the garden, unless God causes the plants and trees to grow, Adam would have labored in vain. Do you see how freeing this is? You don't need to abuse work by making it your idol, dedicating every waking moment to it because you seek your worth and identity in it. Friend, your identity is now found in Christ. And you don't need to avoid work either, being idle with it and treating it like an interruption to your life. Friend, the calling God has placed on your life includes your work. When you put your work in its rightful place, not as your will, not as your worth, but as your worship, you are free to labor with all your heart and yet not be consumed by it. Nothing is beneath you when all is done in service to God. So do you work as an act of worship? As you can imagine, this question first addresses the state of your heart and your mind for work. But let's go to the second side of a Christian view of work, which is our right hand, right? You have two hands, usually. Uh, left hand, worship. Right hand, let's call it witness. Work as witness. If the left hand worship addresses the inward reality that has a vertical focus, then the right hand witness addresses the outward expression that has a horizontal focus. Imagine two people both get jobs as, let's say, light bulb changers, if that's a job. So all they do is go around changing light bulbs all day, right? Now here's a question. Would you be able to tell what light bulbs were changed by a Christian? Some of you are like, yes, I know a Christian light bulb when I see one. <laughs> now, unless they write like, I don't know, Genesis 1-3, you know, let there be light on every light bulb, you wouldn't be able to tell. See, both individuals are perfectly able to do their jobs well. And while you probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference, you would expect at least for the Christian to do the job they have been employed to do. The Christian works as witness when their faith and allegiance to Jesus is visible in how they work. The New Testament is full of commands about this. For example, we read in 1 Thessalonians 4 that as Christians, we are to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. 
The Apostle Paul takes this even further when he writes to Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 5, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. How we do our work and handle our responsibilities, how we live out our callings or vocations that God has placed in our lives are evidence of our faith. This should especially be true for us Christians if we stay mindful about the fact that God works through us to, to, God works through us to show his kindness to his creation. German theologian Gustav Wingren summarizing Martin Luther's understanding of work puts it this way, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. Do you work as witness? Does your conduct and work, work ethic reveal that you are a follower of Jesus and that you find your all in him? Or do you grudgingly produce subpar work arguing with others and undermining your boss. See, when we bring these two parts together, seeing our work as both worship and witness, we realize that our ability to work as God intends is dependent on a relationship with him. We ultimately do it for his glory and as representatives to the watching world, we love him and we love others. We need these two sides to work well, and this is impossible without faith in Jesus. Again, I urge you, if you put any value in your work, recognize that you can't fully work as God has made you to without trusting in Jesus. Work is good. We can know that because God himself works. He calls us to work and not to waste our time. He even works through us so that every action is not wasted or unimportant. But we cannot know how, we cannot work how we are supposed to if we don't work through God through a right relationship with Him. Once again, the authors of the Gospel at Work are helpful here. They write that when you become a Christian, your overarching, overriding, life-driving assignment becomes as clear as crystal. You are to love God and love others. That assignment trumps everything else. No matter what you do for a living, you are working for something different than what the non-Christians around you are working for. Yes, money is important. Yes, advancement in your career can be good. Yes, you want to help your boss and do a good job. But ultimately, you are in your job, so you learn to love God and love people better. This is your new assignment. Moses prayed in Psalm 90, Let your work, speaking to God, be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Friends, we need God's help to even do what he calls us to do. 
Amen. May that be our prayer for all that we seek to do for the glory of God. Please join me in prayer.